The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by God's spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. A good welcome to those listening online. If you are just tuning in, it's fantastic here. I do have a second reading as well, but it came later in the week, uh, so I haven't given it to this, uh, ambush the readers with it. But we're going to read it together, or um, I'll read it out to you. And it's from Deuteronomy chapter 30. When these blessings and curses, this is Moses uh, speaking to the Israelites just before they enter the promised land. Of course, Moses didn't get in there, but uh, he was given a good motivational pep talk, you could argue, uh, with some interesting little quirks to it as well, which we'll bring out and connect it into the Romans passage. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord God, your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scatters you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord your God, Lord and follow all the commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in the work of your hands and the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This St Andrews is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come to look at your word this morning, we do recognise, and it's often a prayer that we say up here together, but we, we recognise that there's barriers with me and also in the congregation. We recognise that we're not here for a TED talk or a motivational speech or someone who's gifted in communication. We're here to hear your word. We're wanting the, your spirit to quicken your word to our hearts this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work on me. Uh, no one can communicate your truth fully faithfully and fully balanced. We, we have imperfections in any uh, person who brings your word. So I can only pray that I would decrease and that you would increase this morning. And Lord, I pray for those listening in here, those online, perhaps they're listening on their device, and for those who are here in this room, 
Lord, there are all sorts of barriers and distractions and hurts. And Lord, we're also up against in this generation, this cultural moment, decreasing attention spans as well. So Lord, we pray that you would come into our midst this morning and give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. Lord, change our hearts. Let your word be sweet to our heart and soul. Lord, let us move on us so that we're at the edge of our seats wanting to hear, not what I say, but what you say. And that perhaps this morning there would be a spirit-quickened word that would transform a life today. Lord, only you can do this. This is what we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you know, if you're a regular here, we're working our way through the book of Romans, passage by passage, lock, stock, and barrel. And chapter 1, of course, Paul talks about the amazing power of God and that his proof of his existence is shown by his invisible, by what he's made, uh, the creation of the world. And he talks about the broken Roman pagan world with their idolatry, which was all the rage uh, in, in Rome, with all, the, with all the different religious beliefs that were there. And then also sexual immorality, the decline and, uh, and of the moral uh, things, and then this whole list of other sins. And then uh, 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 he cha in chapter 2, he targets the, the, the Jewish believers, uh, uh, the Jewish background believers who are in the church in Rome. And his argument is, you are just as bad as your pagan, uh, pagan neighbours. And then he goes through all the things that Jewish background believers were holding so, uh, that made, the thing that made them special and wonderful and different. And Paul just goes through and says, this stuff really doesn't matter unless you've got Jesus in your life. And so this morning, uh, this is what we're going to do this morning. So the first thing is we're going to have a little introduction to the Jewishness of the New Testament. Uh, and why do we have to deal with, with, with that? Uh, and, and I want to argue it's one of the evidence that's been written in the first century, a powerful testimony of its reliability. So this whole thing of dealing with circumcision. And then one, uh, God gave his people, the Jewish people, a list of laws to follow if they want to experience the blessing of God and be his people. And the circumcision was a sign of being part of his covenantal people. That's pretty basic. If you're, you're a Christian, you should know that. And then, number two, his people, indeed all religious people, continually fail to keep this law. Often the failures are significant, meaning the circumcision or outward sign of being God's people is worthless. And then three, the only way to keep God's law is for God's spirit to come on the life of a believer, a Jewish or Gentile, and do heart surgery to move him or her to keep God's laws. We need God to circumcise our hearts. This circumcision is the true circumcision. So now I told you what I'm going to do, I could sit down, right? I know, so we're, we're now going to get into it. And the reason I tell you what I'm going to do is I do recognize we're up against actually uh, all sorts of issues with stopping recall. So that lets you know where we're going. All right, so number one, introduction into the Jewishness. Uh, you know, when I, I was, uh, Catherine and I, uh, when we were in Kaikoura, we still actually are, uh, still, but no Israelis really come to visit us. But when we were in Kaikoura, we're part of this organization called Hosting Israeli Tourists. 
and it was great. I loved it. Um, Catherine probably didn't quite love it because she had to do all the washing and all the sheets and things. But I loved talking to the Israelis and greeting them, and they would have all sorts of things. It was just this amazing experience, and I'd be talking to two or three in the morning, and they were a lot of them were spiritual spiritual seekers. You know, they'd been up there in, in India, going up to different Buddhist or Hindu monasteries or wherever, and now they're coming to have a Christian experience. They're, they were great from Tel Aviv, having done three four years in the military and were spiritually seeking. And occasionally we would have a Messianic Jewish believer come. A Messianic Jewish believer is a Christian of a Jewish background, but because in the Orthodox Jewish backgrounds, Christians are the term for the people that killed them for the last 2,000 years. They don't like to be called Christians. Um, they call themselves Messianic Jewish believers, people who have discovered Jesus is the Messiah. And one of the guys, he had come, he'd grown up in a kibbutz, uh, which is a very sort of secular, uh, left-wing sort of com com uh, communist sort of upbringing, uh, but true communism really sort of semi-works there in the, in the kibbutzes. And he was growing up and he had what, finished his military training and he then travelled over to New Zealand and he encountered some Christians. Uh, and so the first thing that was shocking is he, he decided to pick up the Bible, the Christian Bible, and what he'd heard from the Jewish back, from the Jewish Orthodox Jewish friends is that the Christian Bible or the New Testament is a book just full of how much we hate Jewish people. That's what he'd heard about the New Testament. And so he sort of came with a suspicion, and then when he opened it, he was like, oh my goodness, this is written by Jews, and it's about a Jew called Jesus. This is pretty shocking stuff. And then everything was there was he noticed the whole Jewishness of the New Testament. Just talking about it's about all these debates and circumcision. This book is written for Jews. And so then he started looking and he said, oh my goodness, they're saying these prophecies. He read Isaiah 53. They said, they never had that in the Jewish synagogues. And so he was reading all these things and he realized the research and he came to realize that Yeshua, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. And he came to faith in Christ, which is great for Jewish background believers. They get to see this wonderful connections and continuity. But I have to say it's a different experience for people of different faith, of different cultural backgrounds. And so we have a uh, little time, we happen to have uh, a Chinese lady from in an, in, in an inland city in China come and stay with us for a season with Catherine and I. And when she was in China, these Americans had come over to her university to do study at the university. They were studying Chinese and doing these different languages, but secretly they're actually there as missionaries. And so they set up these um, um, discussion things where people could learn English and then said, ha ha, we'll teach you the Bible in English. So they teach them the New Testament and so all these, she came along and she was learning about the Bible and Jesus, she'd never heard of anything. And then um, um, that, that sort of season finished and then she arrived in New Zealand and she was seeking Jesus and she ended up at our house. And one of the things that she had as a Chinese, as a Chinese girl with lady was, why, is, why did Jesus come as a Jew? Why was he not Chinese? Chinese culture is the best culture ever. We're the longest, the most ancient, the most amazing culture. And what is all this Jewish stuff doing in the New Testament? And I have to say there'd be a lot of Kiwi blokes or Kiwi people today who'd have the same thing. If you're a ki young Kiwi, you've never read the Bible, you wouldn't go to church, and then suddenly, if you were spiritually seeking and you grabbed your great mother's Bible, it's an old King James. Anyone read the old King James? And then suddenly somebody read all the begets and begots who'd read those passages. Oh, you go, what? This is crazy. So you turn a few pages over. And then you had Jesus having a debate with religious leaders over hand washing. And then you go, well, this is crazy. So you turn up to St. Andrews and you're getting a whole message on the Jewish ceremony where they cut the foreskin of male penises as part of a, a thing called circumcision. I mean, it's pretty crazy stuff. You guys are looking at me like I'm weird, but that's what it is, right? So what do we do with the Jewishness 
uh, of uh, the, uh, the thing. And how do we deal with that? Well, I want to suggest to you that the Bible is actually compelling evidence of the reliability of the Bible. One of the, one of the criticisms that often you hear from people who don't know is often they say, oh, the Bible was written centuries later. Oh, it's made up. Who's heard that before? Right? Oh, there was the, there's the, all the church the ones are a little more in the know. There's the real things, the other Gnostic writings. That was the real story about Jesus. But the evil Catholic church suppressed the real story of Jesus. And they came up with the counterfeit ones, which is the ones that we've got. And, and of course, the, anyone's read the Da Vinci Code will come and tell you about that or watch the movie because they're suddenly an expert. May I suggest to you, and this is uh, taking a long story short, that when you are reading all the Gospels and you're reading the New Testament and you're always encountering circumcision this, you're encountering hand-washing that, you're encountering genealogies this, you're encountering debates about the Roman occupation, it's because the Bible was written in the first centuries, in the decades, and this was the grounded context. And all of those nitty-picky details are actually showing the reliability of the New Testament, how it's grounded in that context. We're in a certain context, a certain culture. When the New Testament was written, it was written in a particular culture, and it's backed up by all the other ancient Near East texts. And so those particular little details that make your eyes water when you're reading the genealogies or hearing particularly Jewish debates with Jesus with the Pharisees, these are the very things that were going on in the first century, backed up by Josephus and dozens of other ancient writers and shows that the Bible is entirely reliable. And when you read the Gnostic heresy writings, you get to find out they're third and fourth century. They've got nothing to do with Jesus of Nazareth. This is stuff is really important. So may I suggest, just an introduction, this is, it's actually good. And of course, we believe, and the Christians believe, that we are in content, to a certain extent, in continuity with Judaism. But much more than that, we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah and is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. And this is the Jesus we proclaim. All right, so this is key, right? Now getting into the text here. So that's why we're dealing with circumcision this morning, which I wouldn't normally want to do a sermon on. But here we go. All right, so God gave his Jewish people a list of laws to follow if they want to experience the blessing of God and be his people. And the circumcision was a sign of being part of his covenantal people and agreeing to be obedient to the covenant all right, so, so Moses in Deuteronomy, the first 29 chapters, he give God this wonderful motivational speech about do all these things and you will be blessed. And if you don't do all these things, you'll be cursed or be under for destruction. And there's this wonderful uh, passage, I'll just read a little bit of it to you. And see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him and keep his commands and decrees and laws. Then you'll live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. 
For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here's a list of laws. Keep them, and you're going to be blessed. Fail to keep them, and you won't. Right? Pretty simple. Here's the thing, though. Paul brings out that his people, indeed all religious people, fail to keep his law. And often the failure is a significant meaning that the circumcision or outward sign of being God's people is worthless. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. If you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. Okay, this is a good example for this. What is this? A wedding ring. All right. The wedding ring, I know it's not in the law of Moses, it's just an analogy. But if I am being unfaithful to my marriage vows, does this wedding ring have any value? No. Right? This says, if you're failing to keep, you have to keep your marriage commands, the wedding ring is pretty darn useless. And so that's what Paul's simply saying. And Paul's argument actually is that none of the Jewish people uh, kept, kept faithful to the, to the marriage vows. Tim Keller has this thing. He says that in the Old Testament, there is this unresolved tension in it. All right? So he gives an example of Red Riding Hood. Red Riding Hood, if you simply gave it this and said, uh, Red Riding Hood's off to her grandmother to give us some goodies, that's not narrative. That's just a report. But if you said, Red Riding Hood's off to her grandmother to give her goodies, but oh no, there's a big bad wolf, and the wolf's after eating her. What's going to happen to poor little Red Riding Hood? That's narrative tension. In the Old Testament, there's this narrative tension. So on one hand, there's all these amazing laws. So Moses gives this amazing motivational speech. Keep these laws. You'll be under the blessing. If you don't, you'll be under the curse. But then Moses then says right at the end, oh, you know what? You're not going to keep these laws, actually. In fact, you're going to fail so miserably. You're going to be dispersed among the nations. In fact, all the curses that are mentioned here to come on you. In fact, I'm just wasting my breath even telling you to keep these things because you're just not going to do it. And you get to see this when all these blessings and curses have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. Oh yeah, you're going to come in, you're going to build a temple, the temple's going to be destroyed and you're all going to be sent out because you're not going to keep God's word. And so there's narrative tension of saying on one hand, keep all these laws. And then Moses simply saying before you enter, you're going to fail. You're not, it ain't going to work out. No matter how hard you try to keep all these laws, you're not going to do it. And Moses even teaches them a song called Moses' Song, which brings in the very destruction and the very failure to keep the promises that were going to happen. And of course, as you know, the Old Testament, he sent the judges, he sent the good kings, he sent the prophets, who again and again told them about the thing, and they, and they, and they, they continually failed. Sometimes they say, okay, I'm going to be good for a little bit. Right, no, I'm going to be good today. And then... That just screwed up again, and there was a cycle. You guys have read, you've seen that in the Old Testament, right? And eventually, the destruction comes upon them. All right, when all these blessing curses, all right. And so here was what Tim Keller says. Let me point this out. You're going to fail. You're not going to do any of the stuff I'm talking. I'm wait. You're going to fail miserably. I'm wasting my breath. Now, as a motivational speech, says Tim Keller, it's pretty terrible. But as a gospel message about our failure to keep God's laws and religious people's failure to keep the covenant, it's actually a pretty potent thing because it's leading our way to the cross. And that is embedded in all of the Old Testament passages. And so it's imagine me 
giving a wedding speech and all of you have turned up and there's this young couple they're looking at each other and in the eyes and they're making these wonderful vows to love each other would you promise to love each other oh yes i promise to love to be always kind oh yes i would never think of doing an unkind thing and they give say, well let me give you seven keys for an amazing happy marriage and they listen and say oh that's as easy i'm gonna go do it and I imagine at the end that i said well you know what you're gonna completely fail at these seven keys in fact there's going to be perhaps, perhaps a day you're going to even really regret marrying the other person. Now, now if I said that, that would be a pretty bad wedding speech. But as a gospel presentation, it would be pretty darn on the money. And this was what Paul's point was to the Jewish people. Your circumcision, your ancestry, and the, your law, none of this counts if you're not keeping it. And let's have a look at our record. We've all failed at keeping it. We need something else. And the third one was this, the only way to keep God's law is for God's spirit to come on the life of the believer, Jewish or Gentile, and do heart surgery to move him or her to keep God's law. Circumcise our hearts. This circumcision is the true circumcision. No Jew is one... No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not about merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person who has a changed heart seeks the praise from God, not from people. Now in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. So what is the difference between a circumcision of the flesh and a circumcised heart. We know the circumcision flesh don't help you keep the law. So what was Paul getting at? What, and the, may I suggest that what he was getting at was simply this, is that God would move in the hearts of those who truly seek him where your pleasure and God's laws become one. Right, to give, give it another marriage example, I'm sorry that Catherine's here this morning having to listen to this, but uh, when you guys have heard of arranged marriages, right? right? Arranged marriages where people tie the knot, but they haven't even met each other. You know? And, and, and in, the, in the old societies, they'd have to stay together for the rest of their life. And there was not necessarily be, uh, depends on the couple, they might grow to love each other, but there wouldn't necessarily be love that's there. What, that's, that's, God's, that's the will. You're married, you must keep these laws, be faithful, do all these things. That's circumcision of the flesh. What is of the heart? When I first went out with Catherine, I just fell madly in love with her. I took her on the most romantic date. First date was to McDonald's. And, um, 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 and, and I couldn't eat a single chip. I was just, my whole stomach was just twisting. She ate my, my burger as well, I think. And then, um, and so there we, there we, I just was just madly in love with her. And I just, I, I mean, I was a, I'm a frugal saver. And I'd saved this whole life savings at thousands of dollars. And she said, oh, I'm going away to a weekend, can I have some money? I said, sure, here's my card. And she spent my entire life savings. No joke, true story. <laughs> I was like, then Catherine would just say things. Oh, Alistair, you know, I just did this thing about your life. Would you just, just adjust it? I would just say, yeah, absolutely. Now, why would I do all of those things? It was because, in a sense, yes, I was submitting to her will. But actually, it was because of love. So her commands and my pleasure became as one. Right? It, it didn't last for that long. Eventually, I started, you know, no, we're not going to spend money on that. And the whole thing's changed, right? The honeymoon's to end. 
But, but may I suggest that this is the work of the Spirit on the heart, that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, this is the difference between religion and authentic, Spirit-given Bible Christianity. God will come into your heart and He will start convicting your things. And then He starts moving on your heart to saying, to love the Lord and to love your neighbor in newer and fresher ways. And what we need here this morning is not new laws, not new religious things. We need a circumcised heart. All external religious performances will get you nowhere unless the Lord has come into your heart and circumcised it. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him. This is a heart change. And love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. Who comes to church goes through the motions, but your heart is just dead to the Lord. You need a circumcised heart. Who's, who goes to church, but you've actually got no love for the brothers and sisters around you? You need a circumcised heart. Those who are struggling with, with addictions to pornography or other destructive patterns of behavior. You can, you can, you can willpower some of this stuff. Right? Maybe for a bit, like the Jewish, right, I'm going to try really hard to be good. But eventually, you, you fail. You need a circumcised heart. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that will actually make our marriages and make this church different. When I've seen unbelievers, that one of them was Mark Cuehan, he came to faith, he's now a New Testament lecturer at Laidlaw. In the 1970s, he turned up to a religious traditional church. First time he'd ever gone to church, and there was nothing there. Then he turned up to this other church. It happened to be a Presbyterian where the God was working at the time. It could have been any church. And he walked in the door and he said, ah, he's here. He's alive. There was a sense of God's power that was working in the midst of the people. Circumcised hearts. You cannot manufacture this. And so the three things. The first thing I gave the little intro. The reason I'm telling you what I've just told you, because I recognize that within five minutes of this message ending, Unless the God does a work, it can quickly go away. The Jewishness of the New Testament is, and all the nitty-gritty details, don't reject that. This is evidence. This is not a make-believe story. This is real people living in a real time in the first century, and God was dealing with them and revealing. And he can offer the same today. The Jewishness of the, old, of the New Testament is powerful evidence of its reliability. First, God gave his, the, the covenant of all these things to do, and they would receive the blessing of God, and if they failed, they'd be under the curse. And the circumcision was an external sign of saying, yes, we're going to be to God. To the two, the Jewish people failed miserably, time and time again. Yes, we all love you. Then they burnt their own children, child sacrificed in a fire to the neighboring pagan idols and fertility cults. That was the stuff that they were up to. That was the rejection. And third, if we want to see a heart change in our marriages, in our lives, and in this church, we need a circumcised Gracious Lord, we know that a circumcised heart, heart surgery, is only something you can do. You are the surgeon. We are the patient. But Lord, we ask and we humble ourselves this morning as a church that you would circumcise the hearts of me and of everyone else here this morning 
move on us and move on our marriages, our families, move on us and our individual lives, whatever status or situation we're in, and move on us in such a way that we long to please you. Church attendance, home group attendance, all the things of, of, that we have to do if we're single or if we're married with children or no, whatever life situation, that the things that, that are duties that are in front of us, we would do them not out of external obedience, but out of a, a heart that has been moved by your spirit. And yes, Lord, we recognize these agency and these choices that we have to make. Choose today whom you will serve. But Lord, let our free will choices and, the, and that willpower that we have be marinated in your spirit so that we have, a, we have a circumcised heart and that your will is our pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen.